Welcome to On The Verge. This podcast will highlight interviews from entrepreneurs, musicians, and professional golfers. It will center around what tools they have used to help them reach their dreams, how they use golf to further their career, whether it be for escape from the rigors of their profession or to build more business, and how the communitas of wine, music, and golf enrich their lives. This is all about the enjoyment of life, rising above the struggles, and stretching past the best to be better every day. On The Verge. On The Verge is presented by Cure, cannabis used for research and education. The medical industry is steadfastly looking to help millions of patients that suffer from injuries related to repetitive motion, sports, trauma, and many other orthopedic injuries, as well as skin disorders, mental disorders, cancer, and osteoporosis, to name only a few of the other underlying conditions that billions suffer from each day. On average in this country, we have 10,000 people turning 65 every day. With the cost of pharmaceutical medicines increasing, patients deserve natural alternatives that are not only more cost-effective, but also safer for them and society. Cure is focused on providing natural alternatives to aid with current or previous medical conditions. Cure does this by providing a therapeutic properties of natural cannabinoid formulations for multiple uses, whether internally or externally. Ask your physical therapist or your primary care physician if cannabinoids are right for you. Or check out their website at www.curemich.com. Cure. Cannabis used for research and education. Welcome to On The Verge. Today's episode will be uh, me handling some requests that I've received over the last couple of months uh, to discuss and make part of the On The Verge uh library a little different. So I'm going to uh, cover four things today. Uh, I've, I've talked about on many, th- many of the podcasts how much of a voracious reader I am versus how much of a non-voracious reader I was when I was in school. So I'll go over some of my favorite books, some of the things that I would encourage people to take away while wa- uh, reading. I'll go over some new music. Everybody knows who my favorite bands are. We'll go over some of my my faves uh, recently. Uh, go over some popular sporting events that are getting ready to occur. And everybody seems to be number one favorite thing for me to discuss are great but affordable wines. So let's start with my favorite books. And recently, I have read probably three of the greatest books that I've read in a long, long time, if not ever, back to back to back. So the first one that got this thing started was called Talking to Strangers by Malcolm Gladwell. Talking to Strangers is a great book because it really fills some gaps in in your life, especially as you were thrust upon many strangers and how many times we misread people. And it goes into the study and the art of understanding what we think we know versus what we do know about strangers and how we easily misjudge, how we easily create biases uh, that ultimately have the ability to make really big mistakes for us. And of all the things that I remember about the book, and I I reached out to people here at, at Ensworth because I thought there was something in the book that was extremely valuable. 
um, not that the whole book wasn't, but there was one part of the book that talked about this uh, this moment at Stanford University where there was a a fraternity party and a guy and girl uh, spent some time together and uh, one thing led to another and uh, as binge drinking would go in college world, um, they they found themselves getting together and they got caught, so to speak, by the police. And the the guy got up and started running and the girl just laid there and she couldn't remember anything and the guy doesn't remember much of anything. But what looked like something that was consensual, because the alcohol level reached a certain point where they she couldn't remember and he really couldn't remember what was happening. That guy found himself in jail and that girl's life was significantly altered forever. And it just goes to show like how alcohol in, in that crazy world of college from 18 to 23, you're, you're meeting so many people that you've never met before. In as risque of an environment as you as we're ever going to have more than likely in that that five year time span, and the decisions that they both made while drinking, they never in a million years at seven p.m. that day would have thought that at two o'clock in the morning that their lives would be forever altered, and that neither of them can actually remember where it started to go south and how it ended up in this negative place. But it just goes to show in the book and the studies that go behind it is that when you're around strangers and you misread the scenario and you have alcohol on top of it, I can think of literally a hundred parties of my college life at least where you could see this occurring. And as far as I know, nobody... um, Nobody found themselves in a ne- in a really bad spot, but you could see how, how alcohol and the the carefree nature of that particular time could have caused trouble. And to see how that unraveled and how that that boy at Stanford is, I believe that he's still in jail. It's a very sad situation that has played out so many thousands of times, and. The aggressor, male or female, usually it's a male for sure, but could be both. Get a get away for get away on that without really any true responsibility in the situation. But they're starting to become more and more aware of what's going on, and they're getting wiser to the problems that occur in that in that 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 window of time between eighteen and twenty three, and the world of the fraternity parties and the just the college life in general. So I really thought that that book was amazing as it pertains to how many different possible outcomes where you run into people, strangers, and you're forced to either make snap judgments or at least trust or not trust that this person's going to be able to uh, help. And uh, it was really revealing, the science behind it, all the information behind it. That's one that I would strongly recommend 
uh, people reading. And if, if, if parents out there, you want to read that before you let your kids read it, I'm not here to judge what you're willing to share and not share, but I really think the story's powerful when it, as it pertains to uh, meeting the opposite sex in college and alcohol and how that can be a dangerous cocktail. Not that we didn't already know, but the story in this book, if you've been to college, you've seen it so many times. And it just lets you know more and more times now, people aren't going to get away with that. So it's just really important to understand that. That then led me to my fourth book written by Stephen Kotler that I think he's one of the geniuses and great authors of our time. But his most recent book is called The Future is Faster Than You Think. And it's uh, it's, it's like a follow-up to a book that he wrote with Peter Diamandis uh, called Abundance. And he and Diamandis, again, uh, get together for the future is faster than you think. And it goes to show what we're already experiencing in our life right now, which is there's never been a time where things are traveling so much faster that it almost it appears that whatever it is that you're studying for, if it's technologically related, by the time you're done studying it, everything that you just studied will be completely irrelevant as it has already moved past. And to know how far down the rabbit hole artificial intelligence is going and how it is going to immediately and rapidly change the world we live in. And the picture was painted mainly rosy, all the positives that are going to happen. Obviously, there are some scary possibilities as it pertains to AI. But there were a couple of things that were proof really interesting. Like they're already beginning the processes of being able to grow meat without having to use the animal to do it. And I saw that in New York that there that that's the first time it's been used and uh, to great success. And I find that the, in the book, they talk about how they're going to be able to almost eradicate uh, starvation and people going hungry because they're going to be able to grow these tissues into meat without having to use the, the actual animal. So then we won't have to necessarily have all this, uh, the issues with methane in the air with cows, and we won't have to worry about the the animal rights, so to speak, of chickens and cows and all the other animals that are slaughtered for our food. That'll go away. I found that really, really fascinating. Uh, on top of how we'll be traveling soon, you know, they say in this book that by the time the driverless cars are available, you'll almost be able to be in driverless helicopter, heliport type things where you're, you're off the ground and elevated and taken. Like in Los Angeles, you'll be able to get to one side of Los Angeles to the other in about 20 minutes instead of two hours. So the amount of time being able to travel and not have to be spending four hours of your day in the car in these high traffic areas, it's going to change the game. On top of what coronavirus has done to make it aware that you can do so much business on your computer remotely, I'm, I'm ref- that like knowing that artificial intelligence and the super minds of the world are trying to eradicate hunger, make travel faster, no longer enormous weights, and to know that it's all being done artificially, artificial intelligence-wise, I find that so fascinating. And of all the great things that we we do get out of technology. A lot of the times we're we still spend a lot of time talking about the 
the negative things that come from technology and the social dilemma did a really good job of pointing that out. So if you haven't watched that on Netflix, I strongly encourage you. But the future is faster than you think is mostly a positive outlook on where we're going, artificial intelligence driven, and all the cool things that go with what artificial intelligence positively is going to be doing for the world. And to know that Stephen Kotler has been spot on all these books about the future that he writes about in the human performance side, sports side, and almost the spiritual side of life. He's been dead on for now 10 years. And I'm very fascinated to see how the future is faster than you think, how it comes close to, not close to, or surpassing all of the uh, goals that are set forth in the book. The next book I read was one of the hardest books I've had to read, not because it's hard, but there's so much information about learning, uh, speed reading, your ability to process information, the ability to remember things, your memory. The book's called Limitless by Jim Quick. Jim Quick is widely recognized as the foremost authority in speed reading, learning retention, and massive amounts of memory save and all the tricks and hacks that you can use to access your memory and your brain to remember things. It's it's truly, if you're fascinated by learning and you're fascinated by learning how to consume more information and remember more of it, it's the best book I've ever read. You can catch a lot of Jim Quick's information on YouTube. Quick's got a bunch of inf- uh, videos on speed reading, learning, remembering, drills, and what have you for those things. But this book does an unbelievable job of breaking it down, outlining it for you, the steps that are required to learn faster, learn easier, not work harder, work smarter. Of all the things that I I get out of that book, that part right there, stop working so hard, start working so smart. And if you work smarter, if you took the same eight-hour workday, you might be able to get 40 to 60% more done because you're working smarter in your work time than working hard to accomplish a task. The book is amazing. Once again, in the outlining of how to speed read, how to take notes, how to train your mind to remember. I think it should be required reading for kids. I think we should absolutely, it should be a required reading and test and make it applicable. It should be the greatest selling book ever because in the world we live in today where we're trying to catch up to how fast things are moving this speeds up our processing time speeds up our ability to remember and access the information that we have of all the books that I've, I'm talking about today this book is a winner it is not an easy read I'm a person who I love speed reading I love Jim Quick stuff I could not speed read this book mainly because it's so important, but it's also, there's no fluff. It is like one bite of meat after another bite of meat after another bite of meat. There's so much in it. And 
that, uh, of all the books that I would ever tell you. That would be one of the first ones I'd tell you to get of all the things that I've ever read. The final book that I've read uh, in the last couple of months that was um, a 10 out of 10 for me was Green Lights. It's the autobiography of Matthew McConaughey to where his life is right now. I don't know much about McConaughey. I know that I liked his role that he had in uh, uh, The Wolf of Wall Street. Was uh, I like that, but I've not really ever followed him too intently, but I do find him uh, wise, and I do find him uh, with the ability to take complex issues and simplify them down and give you a good, something good to hold on to for the day. He's a good thought provoker. And uh, so his book the, is, is like the first half of his life, so to speak, and how he grew up. And there's so many things that, that, are, that are a little bit uncomfortable for me. Like there's um, some moments in there where he describes how rough his dad was on he and his brothers and how you had to kind of like fight your dad to earn your manhood. I found that so bizarre that he defended that as um, tough love. Uh, Those things that you'll read in that book will make you feel like it's not quite tough love, but I didn't grow up in that world. I didn't grow up in a world where for your dad to consider you a man, you had to whip his butt in a in a dispute. Ooh, pretty interesting. But he he kind of lives a life that I think so many people have thought about anyway, which has been kind of a a gypsy. He he's not afraid to hop in a RV and drive around the the country and just live in trailer parks and see the world with his dog he did a bunch of that he's been to australia he's been to the you know in africa he's been all over the place south america by himself doing these retreats learning about himself taxing himself and in some ways i've never even thought about doing those things maybe at a cursory level but never like begin the process of even remotely planning a one-month getaway into the middle of the Amazon based on a dream that I had. But he did that more than once. And, and in his own way, without getting too religious in the book, he talks about his spirituality and, and how he came to be the Matthew McConaughey that we see today. And to see a guy be so vulnerable, because he threw out so much vulnerable information honest for sure I don't think you can make up some of the things that he put in there I really I really appreciated that because I think in many ways his fame and the amount of money that he's been able to accrue allows him some levels of freedom that I'm not quite familiar with but to know that he's out there actually taxing his his system his beliefs his spirituality his loves He's out there putting them to the test to test himself to grow and evolve. Even if you choose to never go down that road, I found it to be very useful uh, in attitude, no fear, and live your life the way you want to live your life. 
and maybe take just take that as the premise. It's a nice impetus, a nice way to hear a story that if you need a little, just a little swift kick to go take on something you're afraid to take on or have never taken on before. I would definitely, uh, I definitely encourage Greenlight. So those are my four favorite books of the 2020 year that I read. I read 36 books. Those are my top four. Um, but that's a pretty good clip for me. That's a little bit less than one a, one a week. Uh, but it's just basically it's three a month. So that's pretty good. But those are the top four. The next questions that I had were all about music. And, of course, everybody, if you listen to this, you know that I'm a huge Tool and Pearl Jam fan, Coldplay. And I've talked plenty about you know, Kenny Chesney and Zach Brown and, uh, and my love for them. But then people want to know, like, what have I listened to lately that that has turned uh, turned my ear up? One of them is a band that is not really that new that I've just been exposed to recently. It's called Band of Horses. Band of Horses is like meditative. I can't quite tell. It's somewhere between country music, Americana, and just like songwriter music. But it's so easy listening great storytelling in the lyrics which is what I'm all about and just the just the music itself just takes the ripples out of the water for me I'm a huge huge fan of Band of Horses I haven't quite figured out like I said the genre but they have a cold play like a country cold play is what I'd call them that's what it comes from basically my son Lucas thinks that they're, they're the country cold play um, they have a live show from the Ryman Auditorium that is spectacular. So good. Band of Horses. Uh, in the rap world, I've recently been, uh, been fortunate enough to coach a gentleman named Jelly Roll, uh, from Nashville, uh, working his way up in the, in the rap world. Uh, a remarkable man who's been has struggled plenty in his lifetime, and he decided to use his music as therapy to help himself and others. So I know he's in the right now. He's in the process of his third uh, of his third album in the pandemic time frame, and Jelly Roll. Obviously, you have to work past the the language in some of his songs, if that goes against your grain. But the, the stories of shame, sadness, pain, abuse, and overcoming it while facing his demons, he does a really great job of taking you along for the ride and helping you, even if you're not living the same type of difficulties that he is, helping you hear from somebody who's making it while struggling with depression and being overweight and being pained by his recent dad's death among other among other challenges i gained a tremendous amount of respect for him uh now I've, since i've gotten to know him a little bit past the guy you'd see on a video or on youtube or in a concert He's uh, he's got a heart of gold, and much like he says in his in his podcast that I did with him, a lot of people are afraid to wear their shame, 
and they hide it underneath the rug and it ends up eating them alive where he wears his shame. He lays it all out there. And in some ways he has the level of courage that many people wish that they could have while facing things that are shameful and hurtful. So if you like your rap and you like some story and some meat behind it, Jelly Roll is your man. Um, a band that I came across maybe four years ago on my radio show as they were used as a as a bump music to get me uh, in and out of commercial break was Greta Van Fleet. So well, the first time I heard Greta Van Fleet, it was off their original album. And I remember talking to my, my producer, Jimmy Harper, who was... He put this in, and I'm like, hey, Jimmy, as we were in commercial break, what's that Led Zeppelin song you just played? I've never heard that song. He goes, no, that wasn't Led Zeppelin. I'm like, yes, it was. It was Led Zeppelin. It sounded like it would have come off their first two or three albums. But who was it? He goes, no, that's not Led Zeppelin. It's a band called Greta Van Fleet. I'm like, Greta Van who? It's a woman? He goes, no, it's a, it's, it's, they're, they're boys. They're teenagers from Michigan. I love Greta Van Fleet. Now, I know that many people don't because they sound so much like Led Zeppelin, almost like the the child of Rush and Led Zeppelin, to be honest with you. Their newest stuff that's coming out, they've released two songs coming off their new album and that'll be out in April. It has more Rush in it than Led Zeppelin. I know their first two um, were more Led Zeppelin-ish. There are a couple of Rush-ish type songs, but mostly Zeppelin is their what they sound like, but this new stuff has a little more rush in it. I saw them in December of, not this year, but last year, so approximately 13 months ago. They were remarkable. I put on a heck of a show. They're really good live, musically really good. And uh, love Greta Van Fleet. And the other the other band that I want to discuss is Pussifer. So Pussifer is a band that is the lead singer is Maynard from Tool and Perfect Circle. But they definitely have a Beck vibe to them. Where the, like when Beck's Mellow Gold came out back in '94, the sound, the lyrics, the way that the music was made was so forward thinking. He became, you know, very popular in the music world. Not that dissimilar to Tom York and Radiohead, that like they're making music that's a little bit ahead of its time. So I've always felt like Pussifer's first album had a lot of Beck in it, and they've moved around. They're very, they're the most pliable and flexible band of the three that Maynard's in. But this newest one has a little more electronica in it. Uh, definitely not hard by any stretch of the imagination. And it's got a little, I don't want to say, it has a little dance vibe to it, which is not what I was expecting from it. So I'm, I'm going to sit here and fully admit that the new Pussifer album, Existential Reckoning, has about, I think it has 13 songs on it. Four of them I can get through. I'm still working on the other nine. And I, I'm not one to ever really poo-poo on my man uh, Maynard for uh, his, his music, but this is the first time he's made anything that I haven't immediately embraced by the second full listen. So I'm working on it. There are some really good ones, but four out of 13 is a very, very poor driving event. If you're talking in golf terms, 
That was like Rory hitting four out of 13 fairways. Um, but one of my favorite bands for sure, but this particular one I'm struggling with. Another uh, group of questions that I've received uh, based off of On the Verge uh, is wanting to know my opinions on some s- certain sporting things that are getting ready to occur. Um, so one of them is because I'm a huge college football fan and everybody was kind of piling on my four and five Nittany Lions and my th- now four and eight or four and seven Mississippi State Bulldogs. Maybe they were, maybe, they, yeah, I think they were four and seven. Um, the national championship game, I, I was early on, I think by the time I saw Ohio State play Penn State, and I guess that was week three of the Big Ten and probably week seven of the SEC. Um, I felt like the only team that had enough speed and depth and weapons to take on Alabama was Ohio State. Now, obviously, there's plenty to be heard of maybe Ohio State didn't play enough games. And it's really hard for me to be on the side of Ohio State because I literally can't stand Ohio State. Uh, but I don't like Alabama either. And But I really think these are the two best teams. It's really, as much as I dislike Alabama, it's really hard to not appreciate, one, how awesome of a coach Nick Saban is, and two, how awesome this football team is. They are loaded on offense. It's so hard to wrap your head around an Alabama football team that is offense-driven. They still play really good defense, but this is an offensive show that is very impressive. With the wide receiver, Devontae, uh, winning the uh, Heisman Trophy, that was unique. But I really think that he deserved it. Not that Trevor Lawrence didn't, nor did Mac Jones not. They did. But this, uh, uh, that that Devontae kid, man, he's an unbelievable wide receiver. And to think that we wouldn't even hurt him if their if their main wide receiver hadn't gotten hurt. But he has put up some numbers that are startling. So my national championship prediction is: I think Ohio State gives Alabama all they want in a bag of chips, but it will not be enough to beat Alabama. I'm thinking Alabama 38-24. Uh, over Ohio State, but I think it's going to be a good game. It'll be worth watching the whole time, unlike the playoff games where Alabama probably looked like they could have scored 60 on Notre Dame, even though they didn't. And I thought I was not surprised at all. I know many people were. I was not surprised at all how badly they beat Clemson, and it could have been even worse. But I'm, I'm, a, big, I'm a big believer that Alabama is the best team, Ohio State the second best team, and I think we'll see that. Um, the NFL playoffs, what do I think? Well, my main team, the Denver Broncos, haven't been much of a factor since Peyton Manning retired, so that is out. The Titans are my second favorite team. They look great, but I don't think they have the defense to be able to stop Patrick Mahomes and the Chiefs or Allen and the Bills. Now, I know we beat the Bills earlier this year, but I'm not convinced we can do it twice. If you've watched any football, you know that the Titans have to be in the lead or close to the lead to have a real shot. We do not play well from behind, although we did come back and give Cleveland all we wanted. We never really recovered against the Packers. And, uh, you know, but our defense, man, we 
I mean, the Houston Texans looks like they were starting like people that they they cut back in August uh, because of COVID, and they we couldn't stop them for nothing. Now, obviously, Deshaun Watson's a great quarterback, but whew, we look like we got some uh, we got some serious work to do on the defensive end for us to have any chance of getting past that first round. The Ravens are no easy out. Um, but if we get by the Ravens, we'll be more than likely set up to play the Bills in Buffalo. And the Bills are on, they're flying high right now. And in my opinion, that's the only team that can beat the Chiefs. But if I'm going to go to the AFC, I think the, the Bills will play the Chiefs in the AFC Championship game, and I think it'll be a super-duper game. But I expect the Chiefs to win because I don't see how anybody can stop the Chiefs. Too loaded. they got a good enough defense, a good defense, but not not a Chicago Bears of 85 or the, the Ravens defense. But really, really good. Out of the NFC, with everything going through Green Bay, it is going to be tough to beat Green Bay in Green Bay in the wintertime. The Saints, maybe. The Redskins, ain't eh, no way. Buccaneers, not seeing it. Sorry, Tom, but I don't, I don't see it. I think this is – it's going to come down to the Saints and the Packers and then the Saints and the Packers in Green Bay. I'm taking the Packers, and it'll be the Packers and the Chiefs. I was like, is that, that's a, that's a, re, that's a uh, redo of the first Super Bowl, if, if I'm not mistaken. If it's not the first, the second. And – uh I think the winner of that game would be the Chiefs, and the Chiefs will go back to back. They're going to be really tough to beat. They got so much speed on the outside. They got two great running backs, and of course, right now all they need is one. They have two. One's hurt. I'm not sure he's going to be able to play in the playoffs. But to know that the Jets, for crying out loud, decide, you know what, Le'Veon Bell, I don't think you're good enough, and the, as if to add insult to injury, the Chiefs pick up Le'Veon Bell. Whew. Chiefs winning the Super Bowl two years in a row. That's my prediction. And then obviously with me being uh, a golf professional and in the golf media, people are wondering about my golf predictions for 2021. Hmm. Well, we start this week in Hawaii on one of my favorite places in the world to play and certainly my favorite place to be, which is Hawaii. I will go with Justin Thomas is going to be really tough to beat. DJ is going to be really tough to beat. Those are the uh, the obvious uh, leaders in the clubhouse. But with McElroy didn't win this, this past year, I'm not sure Xander Shoffley won either. It's going to be interesting to see, but I expect one of those two to win. And if DJ continues to play anything like he did at the Masters, Good gracious. I will uh I'll take DJ. DJ to win at uh at the Century Tournament of Champions in Kapalua. Let's talk about the major championships. Uh twenty twenty one Masters. One of these days Rory is gonna win. He's constantly finishes in the top ten, but he doesn't uh seem to seal the deal. One of the things that I'm interested to see what happens is how well he uses DJ winning his first Masters and how he handled himself. Does he apply what he saw and puts that to rest? Because DJ's had multiple opportunities 
to win at Augusta and didn't. Is it Rory's turn? My answer is no. I don't think that it will be, as much as I love it. I think we're going to see Justin Thomas win in April. And goes right in. I really think that when everybody's playing their very, very best, I don't think anybody can beat DJ. But not too far off that clip is uh, Justin Thomas. I think Justin Thomas has got the best short game. He's one of the handful of players that really can bomb it and putt really good. And I think he gets his he gets his second major and first Masters in April. U.S. Open, uh, you know, it'd be interesting because that's one of the hardest ones to pick because it has a lot to do with who's playing well coming into the into the event. Uh, is it's the sternest test of them all? You know, I, I, DJ and Kepka strike me as the two most logical choices to to pull away with the U.S. Open, but I'm going to go with John Rahm to win the U.S. Open. John Rahm won the the event at Conway Farms, the World Golf Championship at Conway Farms, in what would be considered a major championship-like event in the difficulty, and he won the Muirfield event that was set up like a U.S. Open. He plays those golf courses really well, and he is definitely due to break through. So I'm taking... John Rahm to win the U.S. Open because we go to the Open Championship. I believe at this particular point, McElroy will get his second Open Championship. And he goes in flurries. So I won't be surprised to see him win the Open and the PGA Championship, but he won't win the PGA Championship. Won't be surprised if he did, but he will not win. I believe the winner of the PGA Championship will be Xander Schauffele. Xander is he's constantly in the mix in all major championships. He's going to have to break through at some point. I won't be surprised if Victor Hovland's in that group uh, and that that triumvirate of Wolf, Morikawa, and Hovland. They could they could win any of these majors as well. It's just my prediction. So the majors this year will go to Justin Thomas, John Rahm, Rory McIlroy, and you know, at the end of the day, I I, I just feel like Xander Schauffele and John Rahm are the two greatest players to not have won a major, and I think they they end that. Should be interesting. I'm looking forward to that. Expectations. I expect more people to be driving it as far as they can drive it and give up accuracy. I really believe that Bryson DeChambeau is going to continue to have his moments of dominance. If he puts as well as he did at Wingfoot, he could win anything. Um, but he, he has a, he had a great year putting for sure. But we'll see. He's a, he's an intangible. He, he has the ability to change the game like Tiger changed the game in 2000 by just how far he's hitting and how straight he hits it while hitting it far. If he gets his short game tidied up, look out. And then the hockey, you know what, the Predators, we're getting ready to start up here in any any moment now. I think we start in two weeks. The greatest sport to watch live and possibly one of the worst to watch on TV. 
I love I love the Preds. We'll see how we're. We had a really disappointing year, a disappointing end of the year, and the and coronavirus definitely dampened that. But at the end of the day, you gotta be pulling for them. But I'm not so sure we're Stanley Cup bound. Need a goalie, and uh, we need some size. We just do not play playoff hockey very well. We're not big, and we're not we're not tough enough in playoff hockey. So that's uh, that's where I expect to see there. And of course, of all the things that people like to talk about, it's wine. So I got four wines here that uh, are affordable, under twenty dollars, but are spectacular in every way. So the first one is Pinot Noir, uh, Four Graces Pinot Noir out of Oregon. I love Oregon Pinots. They have a they're Burgundian in in their in their profile on the nose and not so much on the on the palate, but they definitely have the smell that I like out of my Pinot. Obviously, Burgundy is awesome, and I do love New Zealand Pinots, but they're a little more fruity. But I love Willamette Valley Pinots, and uh, and this particular one, Four Graces, nineteen ninety nine. All you want in the bag of chips. If you're looking for some Pinot, reasonably priced, high quality, Four Graces is a winner. Now, if I love teeth painting big reds. And I just had Ridge Litton Estates, Litton Springs Estates, Petite Syrah. I love Petite Syrah. I love it because my teeth turn purple. It's awesome. It has got the black pepper, the white pepper, and on the palate, but it has got so much black and red fruit in it. A touch of leather on it. I got that on sale. So that was that was also nineteen dollars. I know it's, it does retail usually for slightly more than that. I did get that on sale, but I took advantage of it. I think it is usually thirty thirty one ninety nine. So it's not. That's a little bit deeper into the price point, but if you like gigantically massive wines that paint your teeth, check out Ridge Litton Estates Petite Syrah. Spectacular. Unbelievably good. Uh, and I have two Cabernet Sauvignons. One is um, Stark Condi's Cabernet Sauvignon from Stellenbosch, South Africa. Stellenbosch, South Africa has got amazing red fruit in their Cabernet. You can, although it's not completely, they have a lot of that red soil, that clay in there, in their, uh, in the soil. And that had such a unique flavor profile to all their Cabernets. One of my all-time favorite wines is from Stellenbosch. It's Ernie Els' proprietary red. It's a Bordeaux blend. It is so good. In my opinion, the greatest of all golfer wines is Ernie Els' proprietary red. So good. But this one, once again, this is like $16.99. Awesome power, big on the on the nose, cigar, leather, big red fruit. And and, and it's accessible. You don't even not to decan it. You can decan it if you want, but you don't have to. I think mine was a 2017. Easily drinkable right now. 
awesome with your big red meats. And really, it's probably pretty solid with your red sauce pastas as well. Superb. And then Santa Rita Casam. I mean, I'm sorry, Santa Rita Madela Real Cabernet Sauvignon, eleven ninety nine for your entry level single barrel reserve wine out of Chile. Santa Rita has always delivered high end wine for their price point at all levels of their wine. Um, for this eleven ninety nine, this tastes like a thirty five to forty five dollar cab. Big, fruity, not overly tannic, but it has everything that you'd want in a Cabernet Sauvignon. And arguably, at a at an eleven dollar, twelve dollar price point, whew, superb. So, if you're looking for white wine reviews, I'm not your guy. But if you're looking for red wine reviews, and it pertains to Bordeaux blends, Cab Sauvignon. Pinot Noir, Petit Syrah, even to a certain extent, the the GSMs out of the Southern Rhone. I love Grenache. I love Syrah. Movedri, not by itself, not so much. But with those two, creates just a little backbone for the, uh, for the wine. Love those styles. But those are my favorite wines, so keep sending me your questions. And when I get a chance to uh, put together one, that's just me. I'll answer all your questions. I know this is the second one that I've done. Uh, answering questions of of all previous podcasts. I hope that you enjoy uh, this show. And thank you very much for subscribing and reviewing if you uh, have a chance. Hope that you all have a wonderful week. And I will look forward to sharing my next version of On the Verge next Friday. Till then, have a wonderful day. Cure is focused on providing natural alternatives to aid with current or previous medical conditions. Cure does this by providing therapeutic properties of natural cannabinoid formulations for multiple uses, whether internally or externally. Ask your physical therapist or your primary care physician if cannabinoids are right for you, or check out their website, www.curemich.com. Cure. Cannabis used for research and education. On the Verge is produced by Chase Akers. If you've enjoyed the show, leave a five-star rating and write a review. Click subscribe to make sure that you don't miss a single episode.